following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Amen. Hello. So I'm not going to forget, we're going to start with the catechism questions um, this morning. Um, and like I told you some other time, I don't remember when, um, we're, we're going to take these in chunks. So we've already gone through the first 10 questions. So we're going to start with question number 11. And this week we are all the way up to question 14. So if you are new or are unfamiliar with what we're talking about, uh, we're working through the It's called the New City Catechism, uh, and that's a book that we've all either purchased or a free app that we've downloaded uh, to go through these catechism questions, one question a week for the whole year, so 52 questions. So we're going to start with the question number 11. So kids first and then adults, and just read along if you don't have it memorized. So what does God require in the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandments? Good job. And adults, we do not hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Seventh, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, and whatever might lead to them. Eight, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good from someone we might benefit. Question 12, what does God require in the ninth and tenth commandments? Content, right? Content, not envying anyone. Excellent. And adults, what does God require in the ninth and tenth commandments? Ninth, that we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. Tenth, that we are content, not envying or resenting what God has given them or us. Excellent. And question 13, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Excellent. And adults, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it. It's supposed to be thought, though. It's supposed to be thought. Yeah. Sorry. Question 14. Did God create us unable to keep his law? Excellent. And adults, did God create us unable to keep his law? No, but because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are born in sin and guilt, 
corrupt in our nature and unable to keep God's law. Amen. You ever wonder why they call the good news the good news? Because of that, the bad news, right? Amazing. Thank you, Lord. All right, so we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Luke now. We're going to look at chapter 9. That's page 866 in the Pew Bible, if that's helpful to you. And uh, we're, we're going to be doing our study a little bit different uh, this morning than as typical, um, in that we are going to look at two different, uh, two small sections of Luke chapter 9 that address one issue, uh, and we're going to skip over a chunk in the middle, which addresses a different issue. Mind blown, right? I know. Well, sorry. We're going to skip over uh, verses 10 through 17, which we're going to look at next time. So today we're going to look at verses 7 through 9 and then verses 18 through 22. So two sections, but the same subject. So Luke 9, uh, starting at verse 7. And as we look at these verses, we're going to consider the most important question ever asked by anyone ever. And there are lots of important life-altering questions that have been asked uh, over the course of time, like which way to the bathroom, um, you know, do you want to marry me or what? You know, very important questions. Um, well, in my life, they kind of went that way. Yeah. Um, the question we're going to consider this morning is a much more important question, and it's a question that every person, every person ever, um, must answer and undoubtedly will answer on the day of judgment. And that question is, who is Jesus? And in our text this morning, we're going to see the answers to that question. They're given by um, uh, four different people. Uh, the answer given by Herod, answer given by the crowds, answer given by the disciples, and the answer given by Jesus himself. Who is Jesus? So let's look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And then skip down to verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, that's Jesus, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to be together today. We're so thankful for your word that you have preserved for us. 
We're thankful that these are your words. And you have determined their meaning. And that hasn't changed over the course of history. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom. That you give us understanding by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. And that we would be changed as a result. We love you. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So after Jesus had sent the twelve out into the village of Galilee, uh, word had reached all the way up to the halls of government that something was going on. There's, there's some new teacher out there stirring things up. Um, the word was out and it seemed like everybody had an opinion about Jesus and who he was and what he was doing. So Herod that's mentioned here is Herod the Tetrarch, right? He's the son of Herod the Great. Uh, and he was in charge of the district of Galilee uh, on behalf of the Roman Empire. Um, he had often had John the Baptist come and speak to him, um, kind of out of a sense of morbid curiosity. Uh, you know, what's this camel hair wearing bug-eating guy going to say this time? Everybody seems to like him, and he always says something controversial. Um, and that lasted for a while until John confronted Herod about uh, his marriage to his brother's wife. Um, and at the request of that wife and their daughter, he had John beheaded in prison. Um, so when the people started saying that, that John was once again preaching and teaching in Galilee, you would imagine that the, the guy who had John the Baptist executed would be a little concerned. Right? Um, you know, uh, it, it's the truth of the matter is that um, Herod was a superstitious guy and thought that John was a ghost come back from the dead to haunt him. Um, Herod's guilty conscience prompted him to wonder if John had come back to get him. You know? And those around Herod were telling him all kinds of different ideas about who Jesus was or, or who he might be, but it only confused Herod more, uh, further perplexed him. Uh, he kind of wanted to know who Jesus was. He kind of wanted to see uh, Jesus himself, but he didn't. Right? This is the guy who's in charge of Galilee, where Jesus is. He had all the power that he needed to get Jesus in front of him or go see Jesus wherever he was, but he didn't. He didn't, um, he wouldn't get down off his high horse to go seek him out. Um, so whether it was fear or pride or indifference, whatever it was, Herod wasn't willing to go find out for sure. So Herod's answer to the question, who is Jesus, remained, I don't know. I might like to know, but it's not that important. I'm really willing to do anything, really, to find out for sure. I don't know that Herod's the only person in the history of humanity that has felt that way. I still see this all the time. still know all kinds of people like this. You know, I'm kind of curious about who Jesus is, but I'm not willing, really, to go anywhere or do anything to find out. You know, if I, you know, 
for whatever reason, whether it's, it's fear or pride or indifference, um, they won't come and find out who Jesus is. And I don't just mean here, like you, you can only find out who Jesus is if you go to church. I mean, they're just not willing to do the work at all. Uh, I mean, we have the world at our fingertips in our pockets all the time. There's all kinds of answers there. But for whatever reason, people still won't do what's necessary to find out. Now, we do know because we've, uh, we can see in the New Testament that Herod did eventually meet Jesus. Um, and we can read about that later in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 23, uh, verses 7 through 11. It says, when Pilate learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he would long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to, to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arrayed him in splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate. How'd that work out for Herod? Not so good. He didn't get any real answers. Rejected Jesus, um, mocking him, treating him with contempt, dressing him up like a king, and sending him back to Pilate, even though he'd done nothing wrong. So that was Herod's answer. So leaving verses 7 through 9, let's skip ahead to verse 18. Herod settled for answering, I don't know who Jesus is, and I don't really care to find out. So let's look at who the crowd said that Jesus was in verses 18 and 19. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has, has risen. So what's the public opinion of Jesus? Well, this was the voice of the masses, right? This is the voice of flesh and blood on the street. Some said that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. After all, I mean, John Baptist was an amazing man of God. How could he be taken away? How could... How could such a great man of God be taken away forever? Right? That's just not fair. Who does that? Now, some said that uh, Jesus was Elijah, uh, returned from heaven in his chariot of fire. Right? Elijah was carried away um, to heaven, and his, and his mantle fell down on Elisha, right? his student. And some say that he was back. And that's, that's, I mean, that's based on Scripture, Right, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the last, the very last verses of the Old Testament. That makes it easier to find if you want to look it up later. Right? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is part of the prophecy of Messiah. God said, I'm going to send Elijah before I send Messiah. And he did. But the people just got it wrong. They missed who God meant, who Elijah uh, was. It's John Baptist, right? They missed that. And others said that one of the other prophets of old had risen from the dead. 
And it was clear that popular opinion held that Jesus was definitely neither ordinary nor insignificant. Right? He was a messenger of God for sure. But still nobody said, maybe it's Messiah. Nobody was saying that. And there's still plenty of people today that will agree with this sentiment. That Jesus was a great teacher, right? A great person of historical significance and importance, but not actually place their faith in him, right? How we designate our years is based on the life of Jesus, right? B.C.'s before Christ, not before Common Era. A.D., N.E.O. Domine, the year of our Lord, not after Common Era, right? So Jesus returns, it turns to the disciples to ask them the question directly, who do you say that I am? These are the guys that have been with Jesus, walked with Jesus, heard his teaching. Who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter, the world's most notorious loudmouth, steps up and speaks on behalf of the disciples and says in verse 20, you are the Christ of God. Now, to be clear, uh, just for your information, the word Christ and the word Messiah mean the same thing. Right? Christ is based on a Greek word, Christos, Messiah, a Hebrew word, Messiah. How about that? Right? And they both mean the same thing, the anointed one. The anointed one, God's anointed. Now, what's interesting to me, now a lot has been made of Peter's confession of Christ here. Uh, the Catholic Church has taken this and messed it all up and, and, and uh, based all of this on Peter, what Jesus says, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to name you Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And they said Peter is the first pope and the church is based on Peter which is total garbage, is absolutely false, is baloney, is not what Jesus meant. His church is built on the confession that Jesus is the Christ. There is no church without that. It's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. He is the head of the church, not the disciples, certainly not Peter. What's interesting to me about this confession of faith by Peter on the behalf of the disciples apart from all of that other stuff, is that Peter's confession of Jesus as Christ is not based on complete understanding. Like, they didn't, they didn't really get what Jesus' work on earth would entail. Um, all they knew was that Jesus was indeed Messiah, the Christ of God. That's right. That's true. And at this point, for them... Simple faith was enough. This is saving faith. Jesus is the Christ. Do they understand what that means? Does that, do they understand what that means for Jesus? What's coming for him? No, they don't. In fact, they fight it all the way along. They don't understand, and even when he says it, they tell him to stop. Don't talk about that. That's not. 
So in response to this confession, which though incomplete was the right answer to the question, who is Jesus? Jesus gives the disciples some some kind of strange instructions, if you think about it. And then he answers the question himself, who he is. Look at verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Who do you say that I am? The Christ of God. Good. Don't tell anybody. Now, what now? That's not how this is supposed to work, right? Doesn't it seem a little weird? Have you ever read this and be like, what's that about? I don't know. Let's flip to the next one. That's what I tend to do. Why would Jesus tell them not to tell anybody that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah? Doesn't everybody need to know? Well, I mean, this is what he wanted people to know so that they could trust him and be saved, right? Eventually, yes. Just not yet. Our favorite theologian, J.J. Van Oosterzee, put it this way. It's just fun to say. There existed a little congregation in which the faith on Jesus as the Christ was the center of its union. If this community, with its manner of thinking, manifested itself externally, it would here have found premature adherence and here roused renewed opposition. Meaning that if the disciples went around now, at this point, and told everybody, Jesus is Messiah, no joke, Messiah is here, he's right over there, let's go, people would go. And they would gather around him and not really understand what was going on and what Jesus was there to do. If everybody believed that Jesus was Messiah at this point, he would not be able to do the work that he came to do. Right? The people may have carried him to Jerusalem, but to put him on the throne. Instead of Jesus carrying his cross through Jerusalem to be crucified outside the city. The mobs might not allow the Romans to take Jesus, to arrest him in the garden, right? If, if word got out he was Messiah already, they would only foul up the plan. So he told them not to tell everybody. And that brings us to Jesus' answer to the question, who is Jesus? Who does Herod say? Who do the crowd say? Who do the disciples say? But who does Jesus say that he is? Verse 22, Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So what's Jesus' answer to the question? Who is he really? Jesus' answer was that he's the suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 53. His answer was that his work as Messiah was far greater than just teaching and healing. His work as Messiah is far greater than just sitting on the throne and ruling over the new nation of Israel. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him 
and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, we shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgression, transgressors. Jesus was the only perfect sacrifice for the sin of mankind. He's the only one who could give his perfect life in our place on the cross. That was his purpose here on earth. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the Christ of God. Jesus is Lord. That's the answer to the question. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, how can we ever thank you enough for the gift of Jesus, Messiah? Who is willing to suffer your wrath in our place. To take the punishment that he did not deserve, but we did and still do. Father, how could we say that Jesus is anything other than your suffering Messiah, the perfect sacrifice who died in my place, died in our place? And we are so grateful. We thank you that all you require now is simple trust 
in that same risen Messiah to declare Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father and we'll be saved. Saved from death, sin, the grave, eternal punishment just by trusting in Jesus. We're so thankful. May you continue to turn our hearts to you. Continue to purify us, Lord. Help us to turn away from sin. Help us to run away in the face of temptation. So we wouldn't continue to make Jesus' sacrifice on the cross necessary for us. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. And help us share this good news that though our sin deserves death, you have offered us salvation and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. May that message be ever on our lips, Lord, we pray. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.